Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are delighted that you are here this evening. Not quite as delighted as we were 20 years ago when Pastor and Mrs. Booth showed up on Swift Hill, driving a rental truck full of new church furniture, a pulpit, a baptism font, and a paneled piano screen that Pastor Booth had spent untold hours handcrafting in his garage in Texarkana in those months between our call and his arrival on the first weekend of August 2000. But we're still very happy you're here. I'm not sure that I ever was or ever will be happier to see someone than I was that day when the booths actually made good on a harebrained plan hatched by a harebrained man to depart an established church in Texarkana where they had reared their children and built a sizable congregation to move to Nacogdoches or more accurately to our down at the hills frame church building seven miles out of town and to a congregation of around two dozen souls representing not more than a half dozen families actually five families according to our church historian Lee Hill however happy I was to see the booths arrive there were at least four other families who were happier still Ecstatic, I would say, because the consequence of their arrival was the presence of a seasoned pro in the pulpit and counseling office from that time to this. Whoever follows Pastor Booth in time will have his work cut out for him. But Pastor Booth had no such complication. This miracle of God, turning the heart of man in spite of the circumstances, has few precedents in the annals of human history, covenant history. One thinks of Gideon answering God's call to go to battle against the throng of the Midianite army with 300 men. Or the ragtag army of Israel believing God that the walls of the mighty fortress of Jericho would fall down after they walked around it seven times and shouted real loudly while blowing ram's horns. Or of Abram leaving Ur after God said, get off your butt and keep walking until you get to a place I'll tell you about later. All these are roughly on par with what God did in the hearts of Pastor Booth and Mary Nell. And 20 years later, we sit here tonight with a much larger and better looking congregation in quarters that, were it not for a sprinkler system failure, are much more aesthetic and comfortable, albeit with a noticeably older pastor. We rightly marvel at the amazing decree and predestinating power of God who gives life to the dead and calls things which do not exist as though they did. But tonight we give him thanks for calling Pastor Booth and Mary Nell to come over to Nacogdonia and help us. And for giving us what we surely do not deserve. A faithful under-shepherd who loves his sheep and will go find them when they wander out of the fold. We certainly honor Pastor Booth tonight for his two decades of labor in this vineyard. But especially do we thank God for him and for his labors. So thank you all for being among either this flock or his friends or family. And thanks for joining us in this night of celebration and gratitude. We have a lineup of representatives from all these uh, groups to present their roasts and toasts of Pastor Booth and also Mary Nell. Furthermore, we have an excellent dinner courtesy of uh, Andy and Sarah Lawless, dead ahead, with only a few words and a prayer blessing from Assistant Pastor Alexander between you and it. So with that, in the midst of this memorable year in which the world went wacky, let's celebrate God's goodness tonight, for he has blessed us beyond measure. Ben, come on up.
sir. To take a uh, sincere and serious uh, turn, I want to say a couple things, and then I'll open us up with a word of prayer. Herman Melville in Moby Dick said that the pulpit is the prow of the world. The truth is, pastors bring healing and wholeness to large communities, or else, by their actions, they bring disintegration, loss of hope, and apostasy in their wake. I believe when pastors give up the faith, when they stop trusting God and slowly give up on believing the gospel for themselves, a very serious wake of apostasy and weakness invades the hearts of the people influenced by that man. The faith of many rise or they fall based on shepherds. Pastor Ruth, all praise be to God, is not one of these men who has stopped believing and loving. Pastor Booth, you have kept the faith. And you have opportunities still, of course, to keep it. In the midnight watches, in places of shadow and confusion, dark places that only pastors know, you have tenaciously clung to faith and love for the glory of God. I believe when pastors do not give up the faith, when they keep trusting God, when they live by the law of grace and mercy, when the first thing they see in an angry and deeply broken man or woman is a human in need of compassion and love, and they bestow it, I believe these kind of men hold communities together far more than I believe we realize. Pastor Booth and Miss Marinell, thank you. Thank you for both being real pictures of that great shepherd of the sheep, the Lord Jesus Christ. This evening is a tribute to every moment in all seasons. Every one of them that you have kept the faith and kept love as the fulfillment of the law, the very bond of perfection. To God be the glory. Let's pray over our meal and our wonderful evening together. <clears throat> Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, all blessing, glory, power, honor, and majesty be to you, who in the profound wisdom of your ways to men gave the gift of the Holy Spirit, your spirit that indwells your under-shepherds to advance your kingdom. Father, you are glad to advance your kingdom through weak and broken men. In your wisdom, you have done this. We are thankful and we rejoice tonight for your servants, Randy and Marinelle Booth. We are touched by you and have been built up in your grace through them. Bless you and bless this food to your joy and ours. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.
Uh, well, I want to just ask a quick question or two to uh, help uh, kind of set some context. Uh, how many of you were actually here uh, in the congregation on that first weekend of August 2020? Raise your hand if you were here. First weekend of August, I'm sorry, 2000. 2000. Yeah. Just actually stand up so we can we can see you across the room. Did Jeff Neal ask for that? So stand up if you were here that first weekend in 2000. Yeah, great. And yeah, we got old. Well, that's what 20 years will do to you. Okay, y'all can be seated. Let me ask one more question. How many of you owe your marriage, your marriage partner, to uh, either you know uh, Gloria Sancta, Summer Sanctus, or some other agency of Pastor Booth? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So Andrew certainly. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, be honest. I'm not asking who had postmarital counseling or anything. Uh, okay. Good. I know that there are a lot of people out there who aren't here tonight, out there in the world, who, uh, who owe their uh, marriages to Pastor Booth's ministry and his uh, gifts at matchmaking. So that's another benefit and blessing. Well, at least for most folks, benefit and blessing. Certainly for me. Uh, better get that taken care of. Yes, Jeremy. Yeah, so children who've been baptized by Pastor Booth. Stand up. That's a great one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So all the... See, keep standing. Keep standing. Keep standing. It'd be great to get a, it's like 20, 25 folks or so, and there, again, there are more that aren't here. Yes? What about the elders who were baptized by Pastor? Uh, <laughs> I, got, I tell you what, you tell me a faster track. <laughs> I became Trinitarian and a Presbyterian elder on the same day. That's called a low bar, and everybody said, Amen. Well, really, if you know Pastor Booth well, you know that he can be somewhat impulsive and even incautious on occasion. This does not pretend well for a guy whose favorite hobby is woodworking. But if you know Mary Nell well, you know that she is not unduly inclined toward risky ventures. The one thing she is, fiercely and fully, is loyal and true to her husband. And that, I believe, is why she went along with this perilous plan to relocate to Nacogdoches. I don't know, but that, in her mind, the jury perhaps is still out on whether it's going to work out. But you will never hear an argument from her lips on that. Here's what we will argue. That present company from Monroe and Fort Worth accepted. We can't imagine a more perfect pastor's wife than Mary Nell Booth. God bless Randy and us when he molded their lives into one. And before we get started on roasting and toasting Pastor Booth, to present her thoughts on the subject, please welcome my better half, Nicole, who is one of the many who is even more excited than I to see the Booth's arrival on that first week of August 2000. So, Nicole, come forward.
Well, if you look on your tables, you will see um, most of you, if you don't have the long ones, if you have the, the, the napkins on your, on your table, that, that is the handiwork of Mary Nell that she blessed me with and blessed my family with for our 20th celebration a couple of years ago. So she's just so talented. Okay. It's always a pleasure to honor someone who is worthy of honor. And while tonight... We are celebrating and honoring our beloved pastor who has served us faithfully and selflessly for more than two decades. We all know that almost always behind every great man is a great woman. While I realize this idiom may seem trite and insufficient, I believe Pastor Booth would be the first to attribute his success, if you can call it that. Perhaps it's like the length of service or and fulfillment of a, as a pastor. To the grace of God and tremendous gift God gave him when he brought Mary Nell McCartney into his life. Some of you might not know that Mary Nell lost her father suddenly when she was only 10 years old and then lost her mother only five years later. At the young age of 15, Mary Nell and her two brothers became orphans and they lived with various family members for the next few years. I don't recall the details, but I believe Randy and Mary Nell started dating in high school, and it wasn't much longer after that, as young college students, that they decided to marry and start their family. Randy and Mary Nell recently celebrated their, their let's try this again. Randy and Mary Nell recently celebrated their 43rd wedding anniversary. 46. They're exactly right. 46. I mean, I know where my numbers are. They're 46. Recently celebrated their 46th wedding anniversary. Since 1977, Mary Nell has worked to help provide financially for the Booth household, which includes working as the co-owner of a dress smocking business and a custom sewing smocking alterations business for several years, in addition to owning, owning her own cake decorating business back in Texarkana. She did this while her children were very young and even homeschooled. Aaron, Kristen, and Rachel, many of those years until Pastor Booth helped start Veritas Academy in Texarkana. I hope this is right. For more than 36 years, Randy has served as a pastor, 20 of those years as the pastor of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church right here in Nacogdoches. We've been doubly blessed to have Pastor Booth as our pastor and shepherd, for he brought not only his talents, selflessness, and tremendous work, work ethic, he has shared with our congregation his beautiful, talented, strong, and quiet-spirited wife. When Randy and Mary Nell first came to Nacogdoches, I worried that she was so quiet and I was so the opposite (laughs) that we would have a difficult time becoming friends. But that proved to not be the case. pardon Pardon me, but that proved not to be the case very quickly. Since her own children were mostly grown when they moved to Nacogdoches, She was always quick to notice how overwhelmed I often was with my six and almost seven little ones back in 1998. She volunteered Rachel to babysit sometimes and often held one or two while I took took care of feeding or disciplining some of the others. Imagine that. (laughs) Over the years, I've observed her helping other families similarly. My children consider her an older and wise friend who will help them as she would help her own. It wasn't long before her own children got married and began having children, and it's been fun and instructive to me to watch her with her own grandchildren, loving them, holding them, teaching them, sewing for them, babysitting them so their parents can make other plans, patching them up, Jonah, and serving them in many different ways. 
She has always been a role model for me and our church ladies in many ways. As I think most of you know, over the last two decades here alone, Mary Nell has cooked dozens of meals for our church families. She has used her talents to make many professional-looking and delicious-tasting baptismal or shower or birthday or new member cakes. She has altered many dresses, including bride's dresses and bridesmaid's dresses. I love those for my kids. And, has even, and she has even custom-made bridal dresses for her own daughters as well as for some of our own church, church gals. She has made school costumes for special occasions, not just for her own children or grandchildren either. She has taught many of us how to smock our own children's dresses or outfits or baptismal gowns. She continues to be the vision and creator of the beautiful pyramids that, pyramids that adorn our uh, church walls and furniture. She personally decorates our church every Christmas, often enlisting her own grandchildren as elf helpers. And she ensures the flower arrangements on either side of the, of the pulpit are fresh-looking and appropriate to the season. She makes our church a much lovelier place. And I can't forget the gorgeous stained-glass windows she made not only for her home, but the two giant works of art she designed and created over, the many months for this beautiful, over many months for this beautiful building we're enjoying this evening. I know that most of you know that Mary Nell is kind, quiet, and soft-spoken. But did you know that she has a sneaky sense of humor? All these years, I thought that Mike Quattrini was behind the all-dessert lunch we enjoyed after our worship service many years ago at our tiny building at the top of Swift Hill. But I've been told, thank you, Rachel, that Mary Nell was the mastermind behind that devilish scheme. And I've recently been told that since the church thermostat is operated by remote control using a cell phone app, you have to be a member of a secret society to be able to change the temperature in this room. However, apparently, one of the app operators in this secret society prefers the temperature to be an even number. But that hasn't stopped her from an occasional tweak to change the temperature to an odd number. Aaron, her oldest child, shared with me that for most of his growing up years, they didn't have a piano in their home. He said that it was much later in their lives when things seemed a little slower that she began to put in the time and practice and money, even taking lessons, to become proficient and confident enough to serve our church in this capacity. And we are grateful. And Kristen, who would love to be here with us this evening, if she could, contributed this. Contributed this. It's difficult to pinpoint just one example in my mom's life as a pastor's wife. It is a role that can be unpredictable. People coming over for lunch at the last minute, emergency counseling sessions that delay your plans, people moving into your house temporarily for various reasons, and many other circumstances that don't come with the territory of other jobs. One thing that can be said of my mom during her many years of this unpredictability is this. She is steady. She is always calm, even in the most unexpected circumstances. She has been a rock to my dad in a job that is so much more than preaching for an hour on Sunday mornings. Besides spending many years parenting three kids from the pew by herself and proofreading more church bulletins than you can imagine, she has hosted hundreds for dinners, youth groups, wedding showers, and baby showers. She has made wedding cakes 
and bridesmaids' dresses and decorations for more weddings than I can count. She, She has done all of this and so many more things that go unnoticed. And she has always done it with an attitude of contentment and joy. Well, this is exactly the Mary Nell that I've grown to know and love. She is that Proverbs 31 woman whose children, from verse 28, rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. So thank you, Mary Nell, for your dedication and service to our church for more than, 30, for more than 20 years. I'm sorry, math is not my deal. <clears throat> I'm an English major. I saw that, Roy. You have modeled a quiet, pardon me, Mary Nell, you have modeled a quiet spirit, unwavering respect for and obedience to your husband, commitment to your children and grandchildren, as well as to Pastor Booth's parents, who've been like your own parents. You've served our growing church family tirelessly and selflessly so many, many times. You have shared your talents and gifts with us, and you continue to impress us with your cooking, sewing, stained glass work, gardening, and never-ending bookkeeping duties, which I understand completely. I speak for many of the ladies and probably all of the ladies in this church who have learned much from you. So thank you for being Pastor Booth's wife and our good friend for more than 20 years. May the Lord continue to bless you with good health, contentment, joy, laughter, and all of his best gifts. We love you. Thank you, uh, Nicole, and thank you, especially, Mary Nell, uh, for the many sacrifices you've made for everyone, everyone in this congregation, most of, uh, most of which sacrifices in keeping with your nature are known only to you and Pastor Booth and God. I have it on good authority that you will be amply rewarded in the life to come because you have not sought the credit in this life. So thank you, Mary Nell. A little more than... A dozen years ago, a certain deacon in a PCA church in the southern Mississippi town of Hattiesburg had stirred up a bit of trouble for thinking that his children who had been baptized into the family of God and joined to the true vine ought to be allowed to partake of the family meal. This might seem rather obvious and uncontroversial on its face, but one should never assume this much consistency in Presbyterian theological squabbles. Well, the first thing you know, John's a covenanter. His elders said, you'd make a good church planter. Said, maybe Texas is as close as you should be. So he loaded up his truck and he called his good friend Lee. Hill, that is. Landscaping, exterminating. Seriously. And those of you who haven't watched the Beverly Hillbillies, I'm sorry. We're very happy that the Landrums moved this way in 2008 and have been part of this congregation ever since. And we've, we're especially pleased that he keeps a record of what goes on in our session meetings. Jonathan joined the session in 2017. And um, he will be our first roaster and toaster of Pastor Booth tonight. So, Jonathan, come on up to the mic.
One of the things I enjoy doing is tracing the hand of God's providence through the seemingly small and insignificant details of my life and family history that, looking back from the present vantage point, were clearly orchestrated and directed by our Heavenly Father. If we had the time and you had the patience, I could recount specific actions and decisions that reach back several generations that have resulted in my family being here tonight. And I'm quite certain all of you could as well. So I wanted to spend a few moments recounting some of that history and in so doing, encourage you to think through the small decisions that God has used to bring you to this celebration this evening. I met Pastor Steve Wilkins, our friend and guest from Monroe, Louisiana, one summer in 86 or 87, I think, at a high school summer camp I attended at Covenant College. Pastor Steve, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were on the board of the Reform Youth Movement at that time. I went on to attend Covenant College and encountered Pastor Steve again sometime around 93 in a four-part tape set of sermons or lectures on Pado Communion. That series was instrumental in a number of light bulbs going on for me in college that helped set me on my life mission. It also got me and a number of our friends in trouble, but that's another story that David already alluded to. In 1999, Auburn Avenue Presbyterian Church began their pastor's conference, and I think that that's where I met Pastor Booth and Miss Marinelle, probably at their book table in the church basement. That was also the occasion when I met my future wife, but my memory is much clearer about that. (laughs) That same spring, I would meet David, Lee, Rick, Jeremy, Lance, and Gary at Dadney Center Lectures at Auburn Avenue. However, the first conversation I remember with Pastor Booth was the spring of 2000 at the home of Lon and Charlotte Oswald in Monroe. We were both on the cusp of significant life changes. Aaron and I were engaged to be married in a few months, and he would accept a call to Grace Covenant Church in Nacogdoches a couple months after that. In that conversation, Pastor Booth encouraged Aaron and me to splurge a little in our wedding celebration. Over the course of Dabney Center lectures and the pastor's conference, I got to know the Nacogdoches guys better. Lee and Arlen stayed at our house in Hattiesburg one weekend on their way back to Blackjack. Jake was in a car seat at that time, and Will fell into a creek behind our house minutes before they were to leave that Sunday afternoon to go home. In September 2005, Lee was in the process of organizing a truckload of guys to come to Hattiesburg to help us clean up after Hurricane Katrina, when Hurricane Rita set her sights on East Texas. We both agreed that they needed to stay home and tend to their own cleanup they were about to face here. In February 2006, my family made our first trip to Nacogdoches for the wine tasting. If I remember right, Mary Kate was in a car seat then. A year and a half later, in the fall of 2007, I was looking to move my family to a more like-minded church community, and I called up Lee one Wednesday afternoon and asked him if he might have a job opening at Evergreen for me. I didn't know Pastor Booth well at all at that time, but I knew his reputation and had gotten to know and appreciate a number of the men here. Lee assured me that Pastor Booth was the best pastor and counselor around. Plus, Texas was God's country, so it would be a move up for us. But he'd have to think about hiring a guy from Mississippi who ate boiled peanuts. (laughs) Lee and Rick figured out a way to make it happen, and we moved to Nacogdoches in February 2008. And Lee didn't steer me wrong. 
we were quickly blessed by our new pastor. We spent countless hours talking through family issues, being exhorted, instructed, rebuked, and encouraged. My young adult children are now receiving some of that same benefit with their own conversations and counsel with him. And I know that I'm not alone in this. As I look through the folks gathered here tonight, I know that most, if not all of you, have had significant, even life-altering conversations with our beloved pastor. You, like me, have received advice and counsel steeped in scripture and decades of pastoral experience. You, perhaps like me at times, may not have eagerly received it at first, but you were surely struck by the wise and godly counsel. Who of us in this room haven't heard his oft-repeated four questions when talking through a situation with him? Do you know what to do? Do you know how to do it? Do you need help doing it? Or do you just not want to do it? If you want clarity, those are the questions for you. Pastor Booth has visited me in the hospital, brought medicine to me long after his and my bedtime, fed us fine cuisine at his table, come alongside me and my family in times of great discouragement, and been a friend closer than a brother. Really, what we're doing here tonight is celebrating God's goodness and faithfulness to us through the life and long-ranging impact of Randy Booth. I am thankful our stories have converged together over these last years and am honored to serve our King alongside him. Thank you, Pastor Booth. Thank you, Jonathan. That was very well put. Uh, Jonathan Landrum isn't the only one to get in trouble with the PCA for reminding them that Jesus is quoted in Matthew 19:14 as saying, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. No, years before Jonathan pulled his stunt, a pastor from Monroe was being a real stinker for sticking up for the kiddos, and reminding us all that it's not polite to always keep the kids from the nourishment of the family dinner table, even when they haven't been up to no good. Before Pastor Booth came into our field of vision in the mid to late 90s, we were bugging Pastor Wilson, I'm sorry, Pastor Wilkins, about giving us some oversight and love from his perch in Monroe. He was incredibly gracious. And I use the word incredibly advisedly, as in not credible. Pastor Steve let me know when I called him that, and I think this is almost a quote, my denomination, the PCA, will not allow me to do that. That might mark the last time he was grateful for the PCA. (laughs) But Pastor Wilkins was nothing if not fast on his feet. And he let me know that though he was filled with regret for not being available himself, There was a Reformed pastor up in Texarkana who was part of a burgeoning denomination that had really low standards (laughs) and who might consider listening to our cause. You must understand that we East Texas hayseeds and clodhoppers who started this work had been traveling over to Monroe, as Jonathan mentioned, for some time, several times a year, to audit theological classes at the Dabney Center at the Auburn Avenue Church Uh, that the Auburn Avenue Church had started. Now, Steve knew enough to keep us at arm's length, and I think they have renamed the Dabney Center since then, probably because 
Steve caught a case of woke and reconsidered naming his theological program after, after a fellow with an affinity for the South in the War of Northern Aggression. At any rate, we are absolutely delighted that Pastor Wilkins and his lovely wife, Wendy, whose recipe for chicken, rice, sausage, artichoke, black olive casserole is the perfect Sunday dinner, and I do mean that midday meal when I say dinner. Please welcome one of Pastor Boo's closest friends in the ministry and a great friend and theological father of this congregation, Steve Wilkins, pastor of the Church of the Redeemer in West Monroe, Louisiana, the church formerly known as Auburn Avenue Presbyterian Church of Monroe. Steve, can you come forward? Hey, well, thanks, and thanks for... uh... Thanks for letting me be a part of this. It's so exciting and uh, wonderful to think about back through the years and see how close uh, and intertwined our congregations are. And I'm, I'm really it's so great to see so many of you again. And I'm really, really thankful and happy I got you to share some of the trouble that you deserve. <laughs> Whether you, <laughs> no, it, it's been wonderful to have uh, have you and commiserate uh, with me and, and uh, commiserate together. I was just asking Randy at dinner. I, I don't really remember when we first met. Uh, it's, it's I, I'm, I'm sure there was some time along the way, probably a conference or something, but I'm not quite sure when that was. But it's been well over 20 years, and um, and I'm really thankful for both both he and Marinelle and, and and his family. His family has been a great influence for our church. We had, of course, Kristen and Rachel come and. Uh, had a great time with them, and they, uh, a lot of Sundays they were with us. Uh, or Kristen and Rachel were eating with us. We had a just wonderful time with them. And then Aaron comes, and he didn't eat with us too much. He was interested in somebody else. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad he was. <laughs> but we, but Aaron now is an elder, and we're thankful for him. And so the, so the, the relationship between our congregations is really. Uh, a wonderful thing, and I'm so thankful for it. You've enriched us, and in, in a great many ways, Randy has uh, directly and indirectly greatly helped us. Um, Charles Spurgeon, the great uh, Baptist minister in England, he, want, he told a story about a young man that came into his office one day. You know, he had a ministerial college there, and I'm going to paraphrase it. It's not exactly like it's in the book, but it's close enough. And this is the way it should be, even if it's not in the book. <laughs> so this young guy comes in and he says, uh, Pastor Spurgeon, I know I'm called to the ministry and I need to be let into your college. And he goes, you're, you're certain about that? He goes, oh, yes, sir. I'm certain that I'm called to the ministry. He said, how, how do you know that? And he said, well, I, I, I tried being a lawyer. And the Spurgeon said, and did you prosper there? And he goes, no, sir, I did not. He said, well, what were you? He said, oh, I was a grocer. And I sold insurance for a while, and uh, I went around uh, as a, a teacher, tried to start a school, and, and uh, then I sold tea for a while. And he said, uh, I failed at everything, and therefore I know that I'm called to the ministry. God has closed every other door. And Spurgeon said, young man, I can tell you this, I know you're not called to the ministry. If you failed at everything else... God doesn't call men who are not able to do anything else to the ministry. He said they, he calls men that are capable of doing many things with fruitfulness and success. And every time I hear that story, 
I think of Randy, not, not the young man as Randy, but the, but the thing that Spurgeon says. Um, he knew he's saying something more than just making an observation. It is vital that ministers, and Randy's the great illustration in my mind of this, they be able to do lots of things, and they have broad interest. And, they, you know, you look at them, you go, that guy, he could make a living in ten things. He could do, he could do any number of things and be successful. And that is exactly what Spurgeon was seeing. Fruitful, blessed ministries come from men who have very broad interests, not narrow, but very broad and, and wide. And they learn how to do lots of things, and they have many interests. And Randy epitomizes that. I think he's, he's I'm so intimidated, you know, every time I think, think of what he's doing. So what could he do? Well, he can be a carpenter. He can be a furniture maker. He can be a counselor. He can obviously be a teacher. He can do, uh, now we learn he can make bread, I mean, banana pudding. <laughs> So I'm saying, you know, Doug says he makes the best banana pudding. Okay, I give up. I don't know what I can. I can't do anything. Uh, but there is a, there's a reason when when I hear your testimonies about his about how God's blessed his ministry. There's a reason for that. It's not accidental. It's not something he's born with. It's not a personality trait. It's because of the broad interest and the and the developed abilities the discipline of learning other other things that make that to be to be so so Randy's a man of broad interest he he is interested and he knows theology and knows the scriptures very well but it's the discipline of learning other skills uh, and having broader interest that makes him and enables him to understand the scriptures as well as he does and to grasp theology in a, in a particular way that some men never, never grasp. There, there's a reason why uh, there's a humility to Randy, and it's because he's done things where you fail and it's hard to do, and you have to do it over and over again, and you don't succeed the first time hardly ever. You keep working at it, and you have to perfect it, and you see, and you know what failure means, and you know what perseverance means, and you know what the frustrations are, and how, how much hard work goes into doing a job well. And that makes you sympathetic. It makes you sympathetic to the members of your congregation that, that don't have the, the privilege of sitting and reading, and they don't have four hours to read in the afternoon and, and relax and enjoy that study. They're out there really, you know, doing real work, as one of my elders always said. We do real work, you know. Well, they're doing real work. They're out there doing something physical, and and when they get home, they're tired. And if you haven't ever had a real job, you don't understand how how that how that physical weariness affects you. But you, but you sympathize. You men, you know the frustrations of doing labor and hard work, and that makes you a better pastor. These are lessons that enable that, that teach you not to give up. You persevere through hard things. Randy's been through a lot of difficult issues and problems, and he is and the ones that he didn't go through. I went through, and had to, he had to take me through it. You know, with him helping me through those kinds of things. But it's because of these broad interests also that he that he is teachable. I've heard, I've actually heard men brag about the fact that they never had to change any of their positions. They never changed any of their doctrine, any of their views. And I'm thinking, wow, that's such a bad thing to say and be proud of. 
If sanctification is a reality, it means that you're growing in discernment and wisdom. If that's really true, and of course it is, if you're growing in Christ-likeness, if you're growing in maturity, you're growing in wisdom. You learn, you know more today than you knew five years ago. You know, and the, and the things you knew five years ago, you know the better today. You better. That's what it means to grow in maturity and sanctification. And you better know a lot more than you did 20 years ago. And if you haven't changed any views from the time when you were 25, that's a bad sign. That's a bad sign. Randy, you know, has continued to grow, and it's not because he was frivolous in the beginning. He changed from being a Baptist to a Pado baptist That's a huge step, and it's not easy, especially when you've been a minister in a church. And it speaks, you see, of his humility and, and his willingness to follow the Lord and, and follow the Scriptures. That takes a lot of courage. That takes a lot of teachableness. That takes a lot of stuff that a whole bunch of ministers don't have in our day. And so... These and so many other things means that uh, he is literally one in a million. And I want you, and I, I know you do, but I want to encourage you to realize what a great, great blessing you have had for 20 years. It's an amazing blessing to have a man like this in your midst and being with you day by day, preaching on Sundays, teaching, counseling, doing all the things that Randy has done. I'm so happy for you for that reason. It's so encouraging. I, I remember those days when these guys from Nacogdoches, I couldn't believe they were doing it. And I really, David, is speak, he's being sarcastic or something. I don't know what he's talking about. But we loved y'all. Well, I mean, we loved seeing y'all every week. Uh, if y'all hadn't come, we wouldn't have been able to have anything because nobody else was coming but y'all. <laughs> so you saved the whole business. We could brag about it. Oh, yeah, we have people coming from out of state. But, you know, way back then, uh, I knew, man, we were praying for y'all, praying. There's a group of guys over there. There's some families over there. That, oh, they're such good guys. We need to pray for them. And um, look how the Lord has answered. It's just a, it's so exciting. It's so memorable. But you need to realize, uh, so every now and then I get to talk to people from around the country, and they are just desperate because where they are, there is not a church that even believes the Bible within a two-hour drive. And they're crying about the fact that they don't have anybody that where they can go and hear the Word, where they can have fellowship with people who really love Jesus and care about being faithful. And they would really literally give their right arm and right leg to be where you are. And you need to know that. This is not normal. The situation in this church is not a normal thing. It's not an everyday thing. It's an extraordinary thing in our day. And I really want you to thank God for the privilege of being in this place. That means be careful how you speak and what you say and how you act because you have an amazing, incalculable privilege to be in this church, to be with this man. And with the elders that you have, the faithful guys who have sacrificed, I know, I know what they've been through, some of it. And um, it's important that you really, really thank God for it and realize what you have been given because it is something 
that there are hundreds of thousands of people across the world that would literally give up limbs from their body to be a part of this. So be thankful. Ernie Riesinger, um, another Reformed Baptist, I have a lot of friends who are Reformed Baptists, but he told me one time, we were talking about a particular guy, and he said, you know, he said, that guy, that guy has more on the shelf than he does in the window. Now, Aaron understands that. But see, this is, the, this is what we call the generation gap. Believe it or not, young people, we actually used to go out into a, a place and go to physical stores, and you had to go to a store to buy stuff. You actually had to walk around town, and you would go and stop and look at the window of a store because they... they fix their windows up to let you know what was in the store. And we would go and look at the window and go, yeah, let's go inside. And so this, the window attracted you. You can't imagine this, can you? It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> that we got tired. walking, We sweated. Shopping. We went to real stores. Anyway, the, but the idea was your window attracted people to come into your store. And you wanted them to come in because they, of course, would buy stuff. But there were some stores that had a great-looking window, but when you went in, you go, yeah, I don't want to, let's, let's leave. And you just left the store. And what he's saying is, what, what Ernie Riesinger was saying was, you know, there are guys that are like that. They're very impressive when you first meet them. But the more you get to know them, the less you're impressed with them. And Randy is, is, this sounds terrible, he's not, it's not like he's not impressive when you first meet him. He's not that at all. But <laughs> don't jump to a conclusion. I'm making my point here. <laughs> I, just didn't think, I just didn't think ahead well enough <laughs> to get to this point. But I'm going to get there. Um, the point is that the more you get to know him, the more you respect him. You know, the first time you meet him, you go, that's a great guy. He's a nice guy. I really like him. But the more time you spend with him, the more you hear him, the more you ask questions and ask for help, the more counsel you hear, the more stuff you get from him, the, the higher your esteem goes. And that's, that's what I'm so thankful for in regard to Randy and, and the way that he's helped me through the years as well, as much in many ways as he's helped you. It's a great blessing to have you all as friends, and I, I, it's, I'm so thankful that, to have friends anywhere nowadays. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, I really appreciate friends a whole lot. Uh, but I'm really, really thankful to have you, 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 you folks as our friends and, um, and look forward to a continuing long and fruitful relationship with you. But it's a special blessing to have Randy as a friend, and I'm thankful for him, thankful for all he's done for me, thankful for what he's done here in this church, thankful for what he's done for our denomination, and I hope he'll be a presiding minister again so that I won't have to be in our presbytery. So there's a, there's a reason why, you know, I'm really thankful for this. No, but I am really, really thankful, and I'm, I'm so happy uh, to have this opportunity to be with you tonight. It's a great blessing. Thank you, Randy. Thank you. Well, I really can't uh, 
overemphasize a part of what Steve said there that uh, Auburn Avenue and the Dabney Center uh, particularly were uh, incredible learning experiences for those of us who would go over there regularly and give up uh, a Saturday, often drag in pretty late on Saturday night, as I recall, Lee. Uh, and we had good, a good time going and coming, too. It was a, one of those pleasant times in life uh, that suddenly pass you by before you realize that they passed you by. But uh, we enjoyed it very much and gained so much from it. And I really do appreciate uh, y'all putting up with, uh, with us and with our ignorance and with my puns and, and outbursts on occasion. But your words are very true and very thoughtful, Steve. And um, I guess that part that you said there about the window and the shelves, that constitutes the roast part of that roast and toast. So, so that's all right. It's appropriate. Thank you very much. And I didn't mention, which I should have earlier in introducing Steve, that he is, as he mentioned, the presiding minister of the Wycliffe Presbytery, which includes Arkansas, Louisiana, and Texas, and now Oklahoma, I guess, right? So... Uh, and he uh, succeeded Jeff Neal in that post. And, of course, Randy uh, was in that post, I think, of the Presbytery, certainly council, but a Presbytery, too, some time ago. Uh, well, thank you, Steve, for being here tonight and for your friendship with Pastor Booth and for the great influence that you have wielded and continue to wield over this congregation's theology and culture. All of us uh, who know... Uh, Pastor Booth and his son are struck by the fact that Aaron not only takes after his father in physical form, but also in faith form. Aaron and his sisters are not your typical PKs. Okay, well, sh- uh, Rachel may be, but but really, <laughs> really, they they all testify to the fact that the Booth home truly was what it was represented to be. A place where Christ and his word were honored and obeyed. I know that one of the things Pastor Booth is most proud of is the integrity and good repute of his children. Their lives bear witness that they stand on the shoulders of a faithful father and mother. Aaron is a very accomplished father, businessman, and churchman, serving now as an elder after serving as a deacon for many years at Church of the Redeemer in Monroe, or West Monroe. Aaron and his wife, Amy, are the parents of five wonderful children who, in turn, represent well their upbringing and the godly instruction they received in the Aaron Booth household. We're glad Aaron is here tonight to say a few words to honor his dad from a particularly close perspective. So let's welcome Aaron Booth. I guess you could say I've known Pastor Booth for a long time. <laughs> I met him at a very early age. Um, you know, last summer, uh, we had the honor of uh, celebrating 30 years with Pastor Wilkins at Redeemer Auburn, and I got to watch his oldest son uh, speak, and I, I felt like uh, he took a, a, an interesting approach, and I want to do the same. I want to thank you the congregation here of Grace Covenant uh, for taking care of them, uh, for giving them something to do, uh, 
Um, this is... This, this has been a good spot for them for the last 20 years. Um, and, you know, they're, they're getting older. Uh, they're, they're both taking full advantage of senior discounts. Um, I know Rachel's here to watch after them, but I need you all to let me know. If they start making dinner reservations at 4.30 in the afternoon, you all let me know. <laughs> it might be time for a change. Um, <laughs> but no, seriously, it's been a blessing for me to see how y'all have cared for them. Uh, and this event is a beautiful testament to that. Uh, I know that they love you too. Uh, they celebrate your successes, mourn your losses, and genuinely care about your well-being. Uh, I, I, whoever chose the music for the slideshow chose the definitive Bob Dylan sermon illustration song. Um, I, I think he's done a 12-part series on that. I'm surprised y'all haven't sung it. Um, because, you know, you, because it, 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 it always applies. It, it comes in handy. You're going to have to serve somebody. Uh, and, you know, when, when you're growing up at home, you might get the extra humor of they might call you doctor or they might call you chief, but you're still going to have to serve somebody. Uh, but he's used... Uh, I'm sure other Bob Dylan songs, you know, other guys are quoting from Melville and Spurgeon, and you know, he goes to Dylan. Um, but, you know, if you wonder how they feel about this congregation, I feel like adapting the words of another modern poet is more appropriate uh, for this. And so uh, I'll leave you with this. He that is... Uh, Pastor Booth, he's going to love you forever. As long as old men sit and talk about the weather, (laughs) as long as old women sit and talk about old men, if you wonder how long he'll be faithful, just listen to how this song ends. He's going to love you forever and ever. Thank you, Aaron. Do you have all five children here tonight? You have all five children, four of them? Okay. Well, I know that of all the successes that you've uh, earned and all the accomplishments that you have in your life, Aaron, what Pastor Booth is most proud of is is the winsomeness of your children and all his grandchildren for that matter, but he he comments on, on that often. Well, Elder Lee Hill did not come to the faith by conventional means. Like a good boy growing up in a rural East Texas Baptist church, by all accounts, should. Rather than hearing the call of a Baptist revival preacher, he heard the voice of a man more akin to John the original Baptist. Perhaps not a man who ate locusts and wild honey, clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, but a man who ate locusts and drank wild turkey. (laughs) Clothed in camel's hair without a leather belt, the better to show a plumber's moon to that wicked, perverse, and licentious generation who populated Stephen F. Austin State University, on which campus Joe Inglis and his intrepid band of student apprentices, including Lee, surveyed the sordid record of the rotting core of American college culture, 
while unstopping from the toilets and shower drains and student housing, the pollution unleashed by the sexual revolution. Lee came to faith from the prophecy of Joe, a leading light at one point in our little flock's history. Joe was not a reed shaken by the wind, but a rube who often broke the wind. (laughs) Whenever he encountered a particularly sordid dorm room, that was cohabited by students of the opposite sex. He was not aware of soft garments, but a man who might have lined his undergarments with sandpaper. And the coarser, the better. But I take this brief time to salute Joe, and I apologize for the inside joke there, but if you knew Joe, you'd really appreciate this. But I take this brief time to salute Joe for bringing the Lee Hills and Lance Vermillions and Rick Berkey's, and by extension the Jeremy Terrell's, under the sway of Reformed theology and into this fold. Joe even gave Pastor Booth the privilege of being his pastor for a brief while, and in addition to these other accomplishments, Joe was a jazz drummer, uh, a Renaissance man. And we still benefit from the fruit, fruits of his fiery defense of the antithesis, slap dab in the face of the thesis of this world. Lee broke up the duopoly of the Grace Covenant session at some point around 2011, And we're grateful that he keeps the record of our deeds and misdeeds on the reliable hard drive of his brain. Please welcome Elder Lee Hill to the lectern. The Apostle Paul said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Randy Booth is a human example of 1 Corinthians 13. His love for his congregation has caused him to suffer long. He has had many arduous conversations and many more sleepless nights on your behalf. How many prayers have been offered to God on your account? How many late-night phone calls has he received On your account. I have never called, text, emailed Pastor Booth that I did not get a heartfelt, sincere response. He has never made me think in any way that he was going through the motions of returning my phone call. On the contrary, I have always sensed an eagerness to help. In all my years of knowing Pastor Booth, I could not think of one time that he seemed bothered or annoyed 
at someone seeking counsel. Love, suffering long, is represented in the life of Pastor Booth and as well as Miss Mary Nell because she has to suffer right along beside him. They have personally babysat my kids many times. And when my fourth child was born, we took our three older children to the booths on the way to the emergency or emergency room hospital to be born. And, and Pastor Booth being a great pastor, Miss Mariel was taking care of the kids and they had to console my oldest son because we wound up naming our fourth child Jess instead of Blue Bonnet. <laughs> he was completely broken up about the whole idea of her being called Jess. They are hospitable to all of us. They have had all of us into their homes on many occasions. They both prepared and served countless meals, entertained strangers, and allowed many different people to stay with them. Both Pastor Booth and Miss Mary Nell equally loved the church with much grace and endurance. Miss Mary Nell has played the piano, decorated the church, and even for a time was the bookkeeper. And believe me, bookkeeping is a trial. Ask Jonathan. <laughs> so if I have not said it until now, thank you, Miss Mary Nell. Thank you for being willing to suffer for us and with us, but most especially, thank you for suffering with him for 46 years. <laughs> Love is kind, and Pastor Booth is kind to a fault. So many times during the diaconal and sessional meetings, we have to remind Pastor Booth not to be as kind as he naturally would be. Love does not envy. Pastor Booth is genuinely happy with other people's success. He is always wanting the best for his congregation. He desires for us to be more successful and accomplish more for the kingdom of God. He does not want to see himself exalted above others to prove his domination. Sure, he wants res recognition for his work, as we all do. But the difference in him is that he wants that for everyone, not just himself. Love does not behave rudely. Randy Booth takes great care in not offending unintentionally. However, we often think that offending intentionally, like Jesus did, is rude. But in reality, it's real love. It would be much easier for Pastor Booth to stand in the pulpit every Sunday and tell you what you want to hear. As Pastor Wilkins alluded to this, congregations all over the world Endure that every Lord's Day. But thankfully, we here at GCPC have a pastor that does not just tickle our ears. With that said, we all know that Pastor Booth is an equal opportunity offender. 
everyone gets equal opportunity to be offended when Pastor Booth is in the pulpit. He believes no man should be left behind. (laughs) And when Paul said, love is not provoked, it is a qualifier to that. Love is not provoked in a personal way. But love is provoked when the glory of God is replaced with the glory of man. Love is angered when others seek what is not theirs. Your pastor is jealous for God's glory. He is jealous for truth and justice. He is hungry for your righteousness. So don't forget to be thankful for his sermons that rub you the wrong way. And make sure you tell him how thankful you are. Because that means more to him than a pay raise. But I believe he would take both if you offer it. (laughs) Pastor Booth does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices to see the truth being lived out in our lives. Robert Randall Booth bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. He is a faithful shepherd. His flock is of utmost importance to him. Pastor Booth is your shepherd seven days a week, 24 hours a day. He wants your best. He desires to see your good. We have two pastors here tonight that would agree with me that Randy is not just our pastor but a pastor to many pastors all around the world. He regularly receives phone calls, emails from other pastors asking for wisdom and instruction. Our shepherd is sought out by other pastors to receive shepherding. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd... One who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. As David Alders noted a couple of weeks ago, one Sunday, the three ruling elders of this church have often reflected the fact that we have the best pastor a church could hope to enjoy. A man who is unafraid of getting his hands dirty in the work of shepherding dumb and wayward sheep from defending them from the wolves of this world. He has proven this time and again over these 20 years. He has comforted us when we needed it. He has comforted us when we needed that. I'm sorry, he has confronted us when we needed it and he has comforted us when we needed that. He has shown neither fear nor favor, but he has treated us all as those for whom he will be called by God to give an account. Thank you, Pastor Booth. We love you.
Well, thank you, Lee. I, uh, several things Lee uh, mentioned there triggered in my mind uh, other memories. Uh, uh, Pastor Booth uh, is not uh, one to tickle ears, but he is one to tickle kids. And uh, that reminds me, I asked, asked Nicole earlier in the uh, week what her memory was, or her favorite memory maybe, striking memory of, of Pastor Booth. And she uh, texted me this. I recall him coming to our house on many occasions and not having sat down very long before he grabbed the closest kid, closest child, since our kiddos always loved to come and talk with Randy and Marinelle when they came for a visit, short or long, and tickling them mercilessly as they shrieked with laughter and pain. Since I was so sensitive to the noise level in our house, with eight to ten kiddos talking or playing or arguing at the same time, this increased rambunctiousness only heightened my concern someone was going to end up getting hurt. Sam was the loudest laughter squealer, laugher squealer, and likewise, it already had stitches three times before he was a dozen years old, so the odds were very high. As a result, when the tickling would start, I had to retreat to the kitchen or someplace. I couldn't see what was happening. Randy didn't care. He just kept on. <laughs> but she ends with, I'm pretty sure he never was the source of a set of stitches. So, uh, so there is that. I will say that uh, when it comes to loving our children... Uh, Pastor Booth's uh, theology of paedo-baptism and paedo-communion gets real. Uh, he, it's not a theological framework for him uh, by itself. It's not an intellectual thing. It is a love for his flock and even uh, the little ones among it. And uh, so thanks, Pastor Booth, for loving our kids. And um, I saw that. In fact, uh, another reason that came to my mind uh, was watching you pull the swing behind the Berkey's house uh, there in the in the in the uh, slideshow. So, and thanks, Lee, for your faithful service to our church and serving as our institutional memory bank. Um, at about the same time that this little body of believers was seeking Pastor Booth's oversight and wisdom and occasional presence back in the late 90s. There was a newly planted church in Phoenix, Arizona, that also was clamoring for oversight and wisdom and needing those so badly. The pastor of that flock was a younger man than I, and thankfully what that flock did not need was a pastor. They had one, you know, such as he was. Before Pastor Booth came in 2000, I must admit to feeling a bit of sibling jealousy since I knew this Nacogdoches crew needed him so much worse than that uh, crew in Phoenix. But like a wise father, Pastor Booth gave both flocks the attention they needed. Eventually and providentially, that work in Phoenix closed, and Pastor Neal began uh, seeking a new place to exercise his gifts in ministry. A group of families were congregating in, in the Fort Worth area, a group whom uh, uh, Pastor Booth was advising and whose church became a mission work of this church and was uh, overseen by our session here. Uh, and they were seeking a pastor at about that same time, providentially, and Jeff Neal was a natural fit. His acceptance of that position brought him in much closer proximity to Pastor Booth, and these two have conspired over the years to produce a summer youth camp, summer sanctus, which has been copied throughout the CREC and even around the world, and a young adult camp, Gloria Sancta, uh, which has produced a fair number of Christian marriages. 
Serving as a pastor is sort of like walking around with a sign reading, kick me. And thus, pastors need friends in the ministry who know what they are experiencing and with whom they can commiserate. And uh, Jeff tells me even cry and pray and seek encouragement and guidance. Pastor Neil and Pastor Booth provide one another this level of accountability and brotherly intimacy, which is most needful and reassuring. I think that even our session, much less our congregation, fails to fathom how important, even vital, Pastor Jeff Neal's friendship is to Pastor Booth. We are thankful for that friendship, but not as thankful as we ought to be. Please welcome Pastor Jeff Neal for his remarks. It has been a number of years, and as I look around the room, uh, the stories, I could tell stories about many of you, but I won't do that. I'll, I'll, well, maybe a few. When the elders of your congregation called me and asked me about this idea, this gathering, one of, it, was, it was an honor, it was a privilege to uh, hear from them, to even be considered to come and speak, and to address uh, you and Pastor and Mrs. Booth. Uh, they weren't sure when to do it, and I, w- was, I could not understand what their problem was on picking a date. They just could not make a decision. And I, does this happen a lot, Jonathan? No? Um, I think it's because they said it was your fault. But I I found out why they had such a hard time. They they were waiting for the Democratic National Convention to end, and then they could could do this. Was that it? That's right. Uh, That's right. Uh, Over the years, what a joy. Uh, Pastor Booth, early on, I believe it was 1999, said, uh, as friends, we're, we're going to go to the Auburn Avenue Pastors Conference together every January, and we did that. Uh, that was uh, one of those times is when I was introduced to Wendy Wilkins' Jambalaya. He had no idea who in the world I was. I didn't know who you were other than you were Pastor Wilkins' wife. And this Jambalaya was incredible. And the amount of times I made that in Arizona, and people would say, what is this? And I, I said, it's good. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, anyway, we, we get to, we've gotten to know each other over the years. You've been very patient with me. Your session has been patient with me. Your, your, your pastor and his family have, we've been friends together, and uh, that takes time. And so what I'd like to do this evening uh, in this honor of standing before you is I'd like to share with you some, some, uh, some events and they're just going to be sketchy, and it's going to start personally with uh, my time with Pastor Booth, and then I would like to address the congregation, and then I would like to address Pastor Booth's best friend. So here we go. My personal reflections. Randy, for more than 25 years, it has been a privilege to be counted as one of your friends. Over these years, our friendship has been a sharing of life and labor, much of it surrounding our work in the pastoral ministry, In these 20-plus years, we have gotten together at least annually. It started after the Auburn Avenue Pastors Conference and then a trip here and then the privilege of getting to know the congregation of Grace Covenant Church, now Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church. 
We have read books together. We have prayed together. We've asked questions of each other. We've disagreed with one another. We've listened to music. We've taken walks. We've watched movies. We've wondered, thought, and rethought, contemplated, considered, and reconsidered. We've read. We've reflected. We've rested. We've laughed, usually at each other, but more often at ourselves. We have waged war together against weariness. In so doing, we've grown in friendship. We've compared notes and we have taken notes. We have stood for and with the other man during the weddings of our children. Rachel babysat my daughter. I was privileged to take a walk with Aaron. You have taken many walks with my son. My son was more scared of you than anyone else. You used to tell me, use any tool in your parental toolbox. And every once in a while I'd say, son, would you like me to call Pastor Booth? (laughs) Together we have entrusted our children to the Lord and we still trust the Lord with our children. Many meals have been shared, recipes have been shared, and recipes have even been finished. Recipes have even been finished. One Wednesday evening, Pastor and Mrs. Booth were visiting us in Phoenix, Arizona. Bible study was slated for that evening. That evening we received one such finished recipe from Pastor and Mrs. Booth. On the afternoon of said evening... While my wife, Denise, was preparing our evening meal, my son, then rather young and not nearly as tall as he is now, severely injured his thumb. Now, anyone, okay, remember this. I want to speak to the young people here. Bicycles. They used to have these little handlebar grips. I don't know what they look like anymore. Handlebar grips on the end of a tube, a metal tube. And if they ever wore through the end of that bicycle grip, there would just be this slicing metal tube. Well, my son ran into a fence and went and fell over and put his hand down, and that tube of the bicycle handlebar chopped right through his thumbnail. It was a fascinating injury. I had run to the bank for something. My wife was busy preparing the meal. It was a nasty injury, and we had to whisk him to the ER. Of course, my wife called me, said, you need need to come home. The meal preparations were stopped. The ingredients were left on the counter, portions suspended in various stages of mid-slice and partial preparation. We had to leave. So after voluminous screaming from my son... A great deal of writhing by my son and witnessing the wonder of superglue upon my sons to secure what needed to be secured from that flapping portion of his thumb. They saved me till after dinner. We returned home and the supper was made ready. The meal was waiting. The finished recipe 
all garnished with love from Pastor and Mrs. Booth. Our Lord has allowed your pastor and his wife, my wife and me, to experience a number of joyous occasions. Pastor Booth and I have experienced the woozy orbitals of a police helicopter ride. We then got out and thanked God for what we thought was firm earth, but it really didn't seem very firm because we were still woozy and wobbly. We thought we were sick, but we have been sickened by greater things. We've been sickened by the turning away of some from the Lord. We have been beside parents who have wept over wayward children. That's when you see the heart of a man. We have stood at gravesides. We have helped each other through some of the most difficult situations and seasons. We have served our denomination. We have planted and assisted other churches. We have worked together with Summer Sanctus and Gloria Sancta. We have shared pulpits. And we have sat on train cars going to and from the Grand Canyon. This is how we get to know one another. We have the present and humbling reflections of numerous failures. And we have found strength as we have rejoiced in our Lord's faithfulness. Through it all, we have been friends. Through it all, our Lord has been working on us to become more faithful pastors. Through it all, isolation in the pastoral ministry has been increasingly put to flight. The light of fellowship has shone in those dark corners of loneliness and also that unfiltered arrogance of going solo was more and more skewered. Thank you, brother. Friend, pastor, for those years of friendship and co-laboring, and thank you for being here for 20 years. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in Life Together, wrote this. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. It's a privilege to address your pastor. It's a privilege to be your friend. Now, Congregation of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church, the Lord Jesus Christ ascended on high and gave gifts to the church, and he gave the gift of pastors. Pastors. They are a necessary blend of boldness and weakness. Their message is strong, and as messengers, they are not so strong. The minister is a blur of drive and dread, strength and weariness. He is called to love others, and he is a target for others to oppose. When others agree, he can be celebrated, and when others disagree, he may be lampooned and criticized. The pastor, your pastor, is a mixture of speech and silence, 
To everything there is a season. He will give of himself to others and others will give it to him. He will drop personal things and enter the trials of others. He will experience trials from others and he will have his own trials. Through it all, he knows that our Lord has led the way for you and for him. So, dear congregation of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church of Nacogdoches, it is one thing for a pastor to serve a congregation for more than 20 years. It is another matter for a congregation to receive and love and serve and care for a pastor for more than 20 years. Well done. It takes both. Pastor Booth has enjoyed the view from the pulpit. You have enjoyed the view from the pew. There is no greater joy for any leader, 3 John 4, than to see his children, the congregation, walking in the truth and one anothering one another. But I've come to hear something of the pulse beat of your pastor. And it is instructive for me, to me. May it be instructive for you. Great joy to watch you embrace Christ. Great grief to see anyone reject Christ to walk away. I was reminded of the Apostle Paul, Galatians 4.19, My little children, Paul writes, for whom I have birth pains, for whom I labor in birth pains until Christ is formed in you. Great joy for your pastor as Christ is formed in you. Birth pains. There's joy set before. There's the unknown set before. There's Agony set before. There is wondrous fruit, many prayers, much hope set before. I think your pastor embraces the birth pains until Christ is formed in you. So I would say to you, embrace Christ. And watch what Christ continues to do here. Yes, your pastor is growing in years. He is my favorite foodie, so I will use a culinary reference. He is being seasoned more and more. Your pastor is growing also in affection. His greatest joys over the years has been to see you embrace and follow Christ continue. Pastor Booth has had a front row seat to observe the Lord's work in your lives among you and in your families. Yes, Melville likened the pulpit to the prow of a ship. I have heard all kinds of quotes. I would like to mess with the analogy a bit. Let us also liken the pulpit or the pastoral ministry to the observation deck of our Lord's handiwork. Pastor Booth has been on the observation deck 
observing the Lord's work as the Lord loves His bride, as the Lord conforms you to the image of His beloved Son, as you are being morphed, formed into the image of Christ Jesus. So, I've addressed Pastor Booth. I've addressed the congregation of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church. And over the years, I have been called Pastor Booth's best friend in the pastoral ministry. His best friend is actually his wife, Marinelle. So, Randy, I will tell tales now. You have repeatedly said that she is the one who has sacrificed the most loved the most, and made your ministry possible. Truly. She is the one who has shared and sacrificed the hours so that you may prepare Bible studies and lessons and sermons and prepare for counseling sessions and meet with people all in the service of other people. She has been the model of calm, an anchor, the one who has weathered storms with you, and through it all has pointed you to Christ Jesus throughout. You, sir, my friend, have written sermons. Your wife is a sermon. So the congregation of Grace Covenant, I rejoice with you. Elders and deacons, well done. Thank you for this invitation, for your encouragement. I rejoice with you. Pastor and Mrs. Booth, Philippians 1.3, I thank my God upon my every remembrance of you, and amen. Thank you, Jeff. Denise, for being here tonight, for your kind comments and your friendship uh, for our pastor. Well, I uh, just uh, a couple hours ago uh, mentioned to Pastor Booth. Now, at the end of the event this evening, or toward the very end of it, uh, you're going to be welcome to uh, make a response if you'd like. So uh, I haven't followed up since then to see if he wanted to take me up on that offer, but I'll ask him now. Would you like to say a few words, Pastor Booth? Come forward. Let's give Pastor Booth a hand. I know you love me. You have sat here for a very long time listening to some very nice things being said. In fact, at one point I thought I was at my own funeral. Um, So you've gotten part of the picture tonight, and uh, if I could, if we had the time, and I won't take your time because I, I do value the fact that you came and you've sat here for a very long time, uh, but if I could, I'd come by and thank every last one of you personally. I love you, and I know you love me, and that's what enables all of us to do what God's called us to do. I need all the friends I can get. Uh, friends come and go, but enemies accumulate, right, Steve? Um, but I need all the friends I can get, and so do you, because I never know when I'm going to need them, and I know that I'm going to need them. 
and we need each other. And so I'm very honored to stand here and humbled by what has been said, and I know and you know that there are other things that could have been said that aren't nearly as flattering, and uh, I uh, try to remember that. And many times have thought uh, what Paul said, who is adequate for this? And the answer is nobody. But thanks be to God who makes us adequate, who fills up what is lacking and enables us to do what we didn't think we could do, who takes our loaves and our fishes and amazes us. And so all I know to tell you tonight is uh, to express deep, deep gratitude to each of you. And if we had time, um, believe me, there would be much, much more I could say. It's so great. It's so heartwarming to see, again, many of the families that were here the day we arrived, still here, still pressing on, to see some of you who weren't here when I arrived that are here, to see weddings of people who I baptized and to see the babies being born and baptized, to see what God is doing from our small beginnings. So I want to close by not only thanking each person that spoke, uh, thank you for your kind words and your friendship and your faithfulness. Thank you to family. But again, I want to say a special thanks to my wife, who is... uh, the most remarkable person I've ever known, and I know her better than any of you do, so you can't argue with me. Um, And her steadiness and faithfulness, and uh, I think I have about at least eight grandkids in the room who I know would all say amen to that. Um, But you are blessed uh, from her service as well, and so thank you. I love you, and I love you. David, I'm going to hand it back to you. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Booth. Well, uh, again, want to say thanks very much to uh, Sam. I'm sorry, to Sam, certainly. Sam Lallace for putting the video together, to Andy and Sarah for putting the meal together. And uh, thanks to all the out-of-towners here. Thanks to James and Holly neighbors for coming in from Sulphur, Louisiana. Uh, that shows you, uh, we don't ever hear about what goes on in Sulphur, Louisiana, in the congregation there, but James and Holly uh, appreciate very much Jeff and Randy serving on the session there, and so they wanted to come up and be a part of this evening. Thanks to Steve and Wendy for being here tonight, coming from Monroe, and to uh, Jeff and Denise for coming in as well. And thanks to all of you, uh, and the Maddoxes, thank you all for coming in from College Station, too, uh, who owe their, uh, owe their marriage in some part to uh, Randy's uh, stewardship. So thank you all. Um, it's great to have you here and worship with you at uh, Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church. Jenna, if you're ready, uh, we'll uh, all stand and uh, finalize our evening with a singing of the Son of God Goes Forth to War. You need a copy of the music. Okay. Uh, so let's sing out with gusto with thanks to our God for uh, giving us a man who follows in the train of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, uh, 20 years ago, Pastor Booth, it wouldn't have sounded like that.
Thank you all very much for being here. We'll see you all in worship uh, Sunday morning. God bless you all. Here's to another 20 years of Pastor Booth's ministry.